Uh, when I was working a desk job, I found it kind of hard to go home and start running. Um, so oftentimes what I do is I would pack a bag and run before I got home. Uh, stop at a park, make arrangements with a friend to run after work before you get home. Uh, just anything to keep me from walking in the door. People talk about motivating yourself to get out the door. Sometimes the best thing is to not let yourself get in the door first. That was Kevin Beatty. And this is episode three of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. For our first guests on the show, Kim and I wanted to interview the people who've had the biggest impact on us as runners. For me, that's my big brother and coach, Kevin Beatty. Kevin started running at a very young age, which we discuss in the episode. He ran cross country in high school and university and later transitioned to the marathon. By his mid to late 20s, Kevin was one of Canada's fastest marathon runners with a personal best time of two hours, 21 minutes and 37 seconds. In his 30s, he gravitated to the sport of triathlon and was even awarded Triathlon Canada's Athlete of the Year in 2008. Kevin has competed at both the Boston Marathon and the World Ironman Championships in Kona, Hawaii. He is currently the head cross-country coach at Loyalist College in Belleville, Ontario, and together with yours truly in 2012, he co-founded an adult running club there that is still going strong today. Now 44 years old, Kevin continues to excel as a master's athlete. In this episode, he shares his insider tips for staying motivated, preventing injuries, and cultivating mental toughness. There are so many practical takeaways for roadrunners of any age, and we really hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. And now on to our conversation with Kevin Beattie. Well, we are so excited to welcome our very first guest ever to the Inspired Souls podcast. So Kevin, thank you for, for agreeing to be our first guest. Welcome. Thank you. I'm honored to be your first guest. So why don't we just jump right in and start at the beginning? Like when did you get into running? When did you realize you were good at it? Tell us kind of the origin story. Well, I think you probably did this in the intro, but you and I are brother and sister. So you know a little bit about my childhood, which was sports all the freaking time. Um, any sport that was going, uh, which included cross country in the fall and then some track uh, in later elementary school years. And we also did uh, a road race because our dad was on the board of directors at the YMCA and they had this 5K road race in the spring. So we started running road races like as early as age seven or eight. Um, so that's kind of how we got into running. Uh, I consider you and I both getting into running kind of at that point. Um, I stuck with it probably a little more than you did, but um, I didn't really know that I was good at it until probably later in high school. And that's simply because I, I just did every sport that was going. I didn't focus on anything. Um, mm -hmm. So it wasn't until grade 12, like maybe after the cross country season in grade 12 that uh, I joined the local youth track club. And there were a couple of pretty good runners in, in the town that we grew up in and in that surrounding area. So even when I started kind of with structured and uh, proper training, never really occurred to me that I was very good because I was getting my butt whooped in workouts and, you know, lapped in races. Uh, so it didn't 
didn't seem like I was really making that much progress. In retrospect, if I look at back at it and see who I was competing against and running with, uh, yeah, I probably had a little bit of talent right from the get-go. Uh, but it probably didn't click in with me till you know late high school or even a couple years into university that I was actually pretty good at it. Wow. And this just speaks to perspective. <laughs> so I'll just tell you what I remember about that, because I talked about the California runs in my, uh, if people want to go back and listen, the one I did with Kim when she interviewed me. And I totally remember running those California runs, like 5K. It was so far when we were that young. But what I remember was basically wanting to die all the time at the end. And you being like running a 20-minute 20 5K when you were like 10 or less. So to me, that was really, really good. Like you were always an incredible runner in my eyes, but it's funny to hear you say that, you know, I didn't realize I was good until high school because you did run all through high school. You did run all through elementary school, but I've heard you refer to yourself as a late bloomer. So like, can you tell us a bit more about that? Like, what do you mean by that? Um, when did you finally peak, I guess, if, if, you weren't good in high school. Uh, so I, like I took the sport pretty seriously starting maybe when I was around 17 or 18. Um, but by that point, you know, a lot of people had already been training for a few years. Uh, the, like the really good high school guys and girls had already put in three or four high quality years. Um, so I was playing a little bit of catch up uh, through those last couple years of high school and, and into university. Um, I didn't make the top seven on my university team for the first two years that I was in, in university. Uh, and even when I did make the top seven, which um, is kind of the varsity championship squad, uh, I was more like the, the three, four, five guy uh, rather than like the one, two guy, the, the star runner. Um, mm -hmm. And then after university, I think it was the first year out of university, our cousin signed us, signed us up for the um, Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, like just without asking oh, us. Oh, I remember it well. <laughs> yeah. It was really funny to get an email or a phone call saying, hey, I signed you up for this race because she had done it the year before. She lives in Washington, D.C. She said, I had a great time. I think you'd really like, to, like doing this. And a marathon was definitely on my radar, um, but probably not at that point, like I still had a lot of room to improve in, in shorter distance races and cross country uh, and especially track times. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that first marathon cycle uh, gave me kind of the boost in mileage, what I was kind of missing from the university years. Uh, and then I joined a track club when I got my first kind of full-time job down in Kitchener-Waterloo. Uh, and they, they had some really good runners and a really good coach. Uh, so between that first marathon buildup, training with this group of great, great runners, and then a second marathon buildup that I kind of had a breakout race, that was all age like 24, 25, 26, which hmm. is kind of late, you know, for somebody to make a jump up to national-ish kind of level. Mm -hmm. I guess so. I, I see what you mean now. But um, just for, for context, can you tell us where you went to university? <laughs> like why you might have been seventh on the team as opposed to first or second? I think you had a pretty good um, team. And then also, what was your time in the marathon, your breakout marathon? So I went to university undergrad at uh, Queen's University. And 
we did have a pretty good team. So one of the years that I didn't make varsity, we were second at the national championships. And then another year that I was on varsity, we were fifth at the national championships. Um, and we had one really, you know, top guy and then another guy who was like really good as well. So there, there was a good solid top two there. It wasn't like I was going to bridge that gap, but I was always in the mix for that three, four, five kind of area. The guys who run, you know, consistently between like 33 and 34 minutes for 10K cross country. Um, Kevin, then, can I interrupt? What was your specialty distance during that time? What was oh, your... the longer, the better. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I think Carolyn can attest to this because we share the same gene pool. Uh, I have like no foot speed whatsoever. Um, and yes, you could say that, that that's relative, but uh, I used to joke that yeah. I was the slowest, slowest kick in the CIS that I'd start kicking down the home stretch and I'd actually get slower. <laughs> um, oh, I, I, I feel your pain. Yeah. Uh, so Queens, uh, Queens for undergrad cross country, uh, a year at Waterloo in grad school, uh, where we were also pretty good. We were uh, third in Ontario's that year. I was an OUA all-star that year. Uh, I'd already had one marathon under, uh, one, one marathon? I guess by then I'd had two marathons under my belt. Uh, so yeah, that DC marathon was the first one, and I ran two thirty um, off of That's pretty good. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, off of uh, <laughs> off of just kind of training out of a book, uh, and then the the next one was Ottawa a couple years later uh, in two thousand two, and I I improved to two twenty two. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. So does wow. that rank up there with one of the races that you're most proud of? Like those, you know, your breakout marathon, your 222, or is there something else that you say, no, 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 that was my best race? Well, I don't know. I, uh, certainly the, the 222 in Ottawa was unexpected. Uh, so it, it was a race I was proud of because I had no idea that I could do that. Um, I didn't know what kind of shape I was in. I knew I was better than, than my first marathon, like so many people probably expect they they think they're going to do a lot better in their in their second marathon uh, but i had no idea that i'd be able to improve by eight minutes uh, and that also put me second place in the canadian marathon championships um, so it was just an all-around stunner uh, probably mm -hmm. the race i'm most proud of came way way later on it was one more one of my more recent races when i uh, did ironman mont tremblant uh, kind of mm -hmm. in a in a triathlon phase of my life. Um, that one, I actually put pressure on myself to try to qualify for the world championships in Kona. And when you put the pressure on yourself and you, the only reason for doing it is to Kona qualify, uh, and there's only three, four, maybe five spots in your age group, um, that's a lot to live up to. <laughs> uh, yeah. Self-imposed, of course. But, uh, yeah. but coming through on that, because it, it an Ironman is never a perfect race. There's always things that go wrong, and there certainly were things that went wrong that day. Uh, so to come out and kind of accomplish that, I would say would be the I would be the most proud of. But yeah, the Ottawa Marathon it it ranks up there as things that really surprised me, and and I look back on really fondly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and and the triathlon that's sort of jumping ahead in the timeline a little bit, if I recall correctly. But didn't you take up triathlon because you were an injured runner? <laughs> Uh, a little bit. Um, I had done some triathlons before jumping into it with kind of purpose and intent. Um, we used to kind of do a triathlon in the summer. This is our, our 
summer track club. Uh, we do a triathlon as kind of our off season between summer track and cross country training. So we would give ourselves two weeks to get in the pool a couple times, ride a bike, and then pick some sprint triathlon in the uh, Southern Ontario region. Uh, so I had done some triathlon before kind of getting into it, but what really put me over there, yes, was running injuries. Um, just kind of chronic nagging, hamstring, um, hamstring, low back, kind of the cycle on the posterior mm -hmm. chain, uh, going from your yeah. low back all the way down to your knees and, and your feet. Well, and I just, just remember kind of cycled that around. Yeah. I remember that time because I wasn't a runner yet really in, in life. And I just remember, uh, sort of marveling at the fact that you took up triathlons like for a break, you know, like <laughs> it was something that you could do that was easier on your body. And I'm like, but it's three sports as compared to just one, you know, I just thought that that was really funny and sort of speaks to who you are, who you've always been all your life is just jack of all trades. It probably speaks more to, yeah, like race and race and uh, the intensity and love of competition more than anything else that even in my off season, I needed to challenge myself doing something. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of runners take up other sports um, as a way just to use their bodies differently and prevent injury, cross train. Um, Kevin, what what have you found the top three little things that you can do to keep your body healthy for injury prevention? Like what, what are your go-to tricks to stay in the game? Uh, definitely. And I don't think it's a little thing. I think it's a big, big thing is sleep. Um, mm. I am like non-negotiable on my sleep habits and have been for quite some time. Um, you know, a fixed bedtime that I very, very rarely break and getting seven to eight, seven to nine hours of sleep every single night. Um, it's just the best thing that you can do for yourself to heal up little aches and pains and, and nagging injuries along the way. I agree. The other thing I've really started to do a lot more of as I've got older is lift weights. Um, so I, it's either lifting weights or doing mobility um, and not huge amounts of any of them, but just very consistently, like at least two times a week with the weights and another two or three times at the end of the day, if I'm just sitting there watching TV or listening to a podcast to sit on the floor and do some mobility and, and do some strengthening, uh, anything like that just kind of keeps me in the game and reduces mm -hmm. my trips to, to see those physiotherapists. <laughs> yeah. You want to stay away from those. Um, I know that eating healthy, like eating whole, whole food is important to you too. Can you t sort of tell us where that falls on your, uh, you know, spectrum of little things and, and sort of, and if there's been any shifts in the way that you think about fueling for your running over the years? Oh, definitely. There have been, um, I, th I think, Back when I was really competing, I went with the mantra that if the furnace is hot enough, you can burn anything, uh, <laughs> which led to a lot of ice creams and chips and cookies and candy uh, in the justification that, hey, I was burning it off, so it can't be that Didn't bad. Didn't you win a bunch of competitions in university, like donuts and big gulps and uh, <laughs> Tim? Well, we, cer we certainly had a lot of competitions like that, yes. Um, that those seemed to be Queen's cross-country and track rituals for sure. Uh, but over the years, yeah, uh, nutrition has become a, 
become more important and, and more of a focus. Um, I've dabbled around with things like high carb and, uh, no, sorry, I was definitely high carb. Uh, <laughs> then I went low carb uh, and high fat, um, paleo, primal, keto, whatever you want to call. But mostly now I, I just make sure that I'm, I'm really eating whole foods um, and the nutrition kind of takes care of itself. It's easy in the summer. I mean, we have a garden, we have a farm share. There's even in COVID times, there's plenty of produce in the grocery stores. So just buy good stuff, eat good stuff. And that tends to get, take care of like 90% of the fueling issues. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, just backing up to, so we grew up in Brockville, Ontario, for those mm -hmm. listening. And when we go back there, because we still do occasionally and, and take in the, you know, Canada Day race or whatever local event is going on. And I know that you're still known to this day for, for your running. Like people see you on the start line and they're like, oh no, <laughs> Kevin's here. Um, and you were even inducted into our high school's uh, Sports Hall of Fame in 2009, which was more than a decade after you graduated. So I'm curious what you think it is about your story that resonates with other people. Uh, I think it's probably just because we live in or came from a smallish town. Like Brockville's not small, small, but it's not huge either. Uh, so people either have some kind of connection to us, like they they know us, like you say, from seeing and seeing me at races, uh, or we went to high school with them, or they know our parents. Um, so people like to like to have that kind of connection when they see somebody from their town do well and. Mm -hmm. We're we're from a small enough place that when somebody does something on the national scale, it makes news and, and people kind of attach themselves to it and want to take pride in it. And I'm happy to share in that for sure. Yeah. Good point. So it's really an, it's really I, an honor. I think you're it is an I was gonna say, I hope you're not downplaying like you you certainly deserved the the recognition and everything, but I, I know what you mean. Like when you're kind of a big a big fish in a small pond, uh, it's easy for that attention to come your way. But Kevin, you've been running from, from what I can see, at least on paper and according to Carolyn, exceptionally well for decades. Um, and now as a master's athlete in not only running, but triathlon, uh, you made it to Kona. How have you been able, like you've spoken to some of your good habits that you've developed over the years to keep your, your body fine tuned, but is there anything else you can add, maybe even in the mind game part of it, of how you've been able to run at such a high level for so long? I think part of it is just being, well, you might call it consistent or you might call it persistent um, through all the years. Like even when I've had injury troubles, uh, I've switched to triathlon so that I'm still kind of doing something and, and training at, at some sort of level. Um, I don't think I've ever really stopped training for more than a couple months at a time. Uh, so fitness is really just a habit. Um, sports are something that I love to do. And um, I, you know, just like some people like to play music or, or sing or whatever, sport, sports is what I do. So I, I find an activity and kind of stick with it. And running is so easy. Um, you could take it with you anywhere and it's very minimal equipment. Uh, so it's just kind of become a habit and become part of my day. Uh, I think another thing that I do is I treat the sport as a sport. Uh, so 
there's some seriousness to seriousness to it. Uh, I'm lucky because I'm kind of starting from pretty good genetics and and a good training background. So maybe there's a little more incentive to kind of try to train hard and stay on top. Um, and then over the years, as I've gotten older, and um, you know what used to work for training doesn't work anymore, you know, I've got to make changes. So the changes uh, of kind of not committing to doing any one thing on any particular day, uh, that has helped quite a bit. Instead of forcing a workout, I'm happy to take a day off. Uh, I like to joke that I probably only finish about 50% of my workouts as I originally intended to them. Uh, I make changes on the fly uh, almost all the time. And mm -hmm. You know, kind of taking the taking the extra day if I if I'm not sure that I'm ready for the next hard workout or the next long run. Just those those kinds of things, especially as you get older, um, they help with the longevity for sure. You know, a lot of long term, you know, um, runners who've been running for many years talk about becoming much more intuitive, listening to their bodies, and almost becoming less of a cook and more of a chef right? Like not following yeah, the recipe, analogy. you know, just throwing the ingredients in the pot, you know, ultimately what needs to come out and you figure it out on the fly, right? And you can only do that with experience and maturity behind you at a certain point. Um, but do you ever, Kevin, have like, how do you keep your mojo up? Do you ever have days where you don't feel like running? And on those days, what do you do to get yourself out the door? Well, uh, we're speaking today at the end of July when it's like mid 30s and feels like over 40 here in Ontario. Uh, so a day like today, I did woke up, didn't feel like running, so I just took the day off. Uh, so my mojo doesn't always doesn't always win out. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but little things like over you can't do that every day, of course. Uh, yeah, you can't so do that for years, two weeks in a row. Yeah. <laughs> uh, little tricks. Uh, when I was working a desk job, I found it kind of hard to go home and start running. Um, so oftentimes what I do is I would pack a bag uh, of running clothing and shoes and uh, and whatever and run before I got home. Uh, stop at a park, make arrangements with a friend to run after work before you get home. Uh, just anything to keep me from walking in the door. People talk about walking or about motivating yourself to get out the door. Sometimes the best thing is to not let yourself get in the door first. <laughs> I 100% agree. That's my strategy. Exactly. As soon as my kids see me, that's it. Like I have to get the run in before they see me. Yeah. 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 I uh, love so that. On, on the days that you do happen to slip in the door, um, another, another strategy or little trick that I have is to just get dressed in running clothing and sit around. <laughs> that way, <laughs> if the urge strikes, you're, you're ready to go. Um, and the it. final thing, I guess, would be I never commit too far in advance. So if I really don't feel like running and I feel like I'm kind of forcing myself to go out, I'll just say, okay, you can quit after five minutes or 10 minutes. And maybe I'll start mm -hmm. by running down the laneway. That's a dead end, you know, 400 meters down the road. So that at least if I come back, I've made it half a mile. Yeah. Those are awesome. And I think back to the intuit being a bit more intuitive and listening to your body more. I think that one uh, from my experience, like with coaching some people, it's that is like a hard one for people to really get on board with, because I think there's this no pain, no gain and, and more is better. And I have to be consistent and I have to 
do exactly what's on my program kind of mindset that people have. So did it take you, was there some trial and error in learning to listen to your body? Listen to your body. I mean, everybody says it, but I don't even think people realize what they're saying. I, I think people just say it because it sounds cool uh, without <laughs> even thinking about what it actually means. Um, yeah, it's taken a long time to to learn how to listen to my body and maybe not listen to my body, but to actually take action and hear what it's mm-hmm. saying. Um, yeah, th- I think there's a, this mindset that if you miss a day of training, your whole life is going to fall apart. Or, you know, if you yeah. if your coach has put down that you have a 12 kilometer run, but you only go 10, then somehow you've failed. Uh-huh. Or, um, or if if you don't do a run on a certain day, then you have to do it the next day. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, those are coachable moments for me now because I I see that a lot with people, right? They'll, you know, wake up at four 30 in the morning and run through a snowstorm uh, to get their run in and then, you know, say how tough it was. Meanwhile, the forecast for the next day is like totally clear and, and right. warm <laughs> yeah. and they have nothing well, going on. So it's like, why don't we just move that day down one yeah. more day? You know, that's what yeah. listening to your body means. Uh, but it, it's a lot harder to take action on than it is to, to think about it. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot wrapped up in it, right? Like there's that person that doesn't want to disappoint their coach or wants to be able to say they did absolutely everything to a T, you know, like there's other factors that uh, are involved in that, but that kind of segues into you are a coach and you, you do have a, a running group that you coach in, in Belleville and have for many years now. Um, what are some of those, uh, I don't want to say mistakes, but what are, what are some of the things that you see that sort of get in people's way? Like some of these mindset things or, or training errors, or what would be like your, you know, top three things that you think, um, new runners or recreational runners make? Yeah. Um, new runners probably don't make nearly as many mistakes as recreational runners, the people who have been doing mm. it for a while. Um, mm, tell I mean, us when more. <laughs> well, cause when you're a new runner, you can do anything and it's going to help you improve. Uh, even yeah. if you're doing the wrong thing, uh, you're, you're a complete blank slate for probably at least yeah. a year and maybe more like two or three years. Uh, so, so really doing anything is going to, is going to help you improve after a little bit though, you'd need to kind of put some structure in and, and make a plan and, and do things the right way or else you're not going to last, or you're going to plateau or fizzle out. Um, mm-hmm. one of those three outcomes. Um, so probably treating everything like a medium run, just kind of it, like too hard to be getting aerobic benefits, not hard enough to be getting speed and power, and just kind of like wearing and grinding you down every single day. Uh, like for, for an experienced runner, someone who's been going for a couple of years, there's no reason that they, they shouldn't be able to physically go running every, every other day or every two out of every three days or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, when I, my, my spidey sense goes up as a coach, when I start hearing people say, oh yeah, you know, I did a run on Monday and then a run on Tuesday and then I needed three days off. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of a, a cue or, or a clue that someone's probably running medium 
the whole yeah. time. <laughs> but Kevin, that's how you're going to get faster. How could you ever get faster by going slower? <laughs> it is a good question. Yeah, yeah. Biology really doesn't care what your mind thinks. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or how about when people, you know, show up for the, the workout or they get the workout in and they never miss a long run, but they uh, flake on the easy days, the, the you know, mileage days. And when I said that, um, that recreational runners or, you know, the, the club runner makes more mistakes than the new runner, that's probably a good example of it. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. For a lot of people, when they've been a, a new runner, well, first of all, every run is going to feel kind of hard or medium, at least for a while. Uh, and then they tend to do the same thing over and over again, uh, yeah. running the same route, running kind of the same effort, running kind of the same times. Uh, then they, they might get a coach and join a club um, and they find this thing of interval workouts and tempos and long runs and some structure. And then they, they, do these practices for a while and see a boost in their performance, which is natural because they're changing it up and doing something new. Mm -hmm. um, but they tend to disregard the stuff that got them there in the first place. <laughs> so <laughs> like an interval workout or a tempo run might only sharpen the fitness that you've already got. You've still got to do the mileage. You still got to bake the cake if we're going back to Kim's uh, cooking analogies. <laughs> <laughs> Still got to bake a cake and, and then the workouts become the icing on that cake. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll never forget this time. Uh, I used to belong to the running group that Kevin still coaches to this day when, when I lived back in Ontario. And I will never forget, we were all out for, a, it was a weekend. So we were doing a long run. So we all set off on our long run. It was like 75 to 90 minutes. Let's call it 75 minutes. So we all set out for like this hour 15 long run. We're chatting away. It was out at your place in Frankfurt. And uh, we get back and you're like, okay, now we're going to run a 5K. We're going to race a 5K. And we were all like, what? <laughs> like, you've got to be kidding me. We just ran for an hour and 15 minutes. And wouldn't you know that probably half of us set personal bests in the 5K race that we didn't even know was going to happen that day. And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your thinking behind that and and maybe sort of overall over uh, just why did you have us do that? And what is sort of your pet peeve about when people don't warm up for races? Well, okay. So yes, you, you do know that warming up, it, it, not warming up, I guess, is one of my pet peeves. Um, I'd throw that back in the question about uh, about injuries and staying healthy. I don't do anything without a 15 to 20 minute warm up plus strides and mobility and stretching. Um, you know, that that's a bare minimum. Um, <clears throat> I would have to look back in the training cycle and see kind of where we were at in the season and what we did the week leading up to up to that workout. I, I'm certain I had it in my mind that that was going to be one of the workouts. So uh, it was probably well planned for. Um, the thinking behind it, though, would be that, yes, you are now completely warmed up and, uh, and ready to go. And also, it's just kind of breaking down the barrier of time. A lot of times, mm -hmm. um, and I think at that point in, in the run group, not very many people were even doing like a regular hour and a half long run. Uh, so to be able to go and do kind of a, a long, medium, medium longish kind of run and then accelerate off of it uh, was, was good for people to see. And that's 
likely why that workout was in there was um, to be able to control the early part, get yourself physiologically mm -hmm. ready, and know that there is tons of stuff still in the tank. Yeah. Like I feel like it busted a whole bunch of belief systems for so many people who think that, oh, I'm, I don't want to warm up. I don't want to tire myself out. Like I hear that a lot. And it's like, no, you don't want to spend the first two or three kilometers of your 5k, uh, you know, getting out the cobwebs, right? You want to be nice and loosened up, especially for masters athletes. Right. And so I just thought that that was such a genius way that you kind of had gave us that experience of, oh, wait a second, <laughs> I guess warming up is a good thing. But, you know, as an endurance, uh, ultra endurance athlete, I look at the other side too, of you just proved that that long run was done at an easy level. It wasn't using up everything you had. So that's discipline and pacing as well, right? You shouldn't be finishing your long run with nothing left. Mm -hmm. You should have something left in the tank, right? Exactly. If you're going to get the benefits yeah. of a long run, which is why we put in that 75, 90, two hours. I can't even imagine what some of the ultra people put in. Uh, but if we're trying, if we're looking to reap those benefits, then it has to be at a certain intensity uh, to get the development that we want. Uh, going out and, and slamming as hard as you can for 75 minutes uh, is a totally different workout. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. And what about, um, like, I, I've heard you talk about you know, discounting a 5k, like, oh, I'm only doing the 5k, or I just did the 5k compared to somebody who ran, you know, a marathon or something like, do, talk to us about kind of your, your thoughts on the shorter distances and their sort of value in, in a person's training. Yeah, I mean, that just ran the 5k, or I only ran the 5k, it usually comes into play when there's races of different distances, or I guess it only comes into play when there's races of different distances. And uh, there's this assumption that if you're, if you're doing the shorter distance, most often the 5k, uh, that you're somehow inferior to the people who are doing the longer distance. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I don't know, I, I guess that just comes from a false assumption that going longer is more difficult. Uh, to me, going faster is more difficult. And getting the absolute most out of your body that you can is a lot more difficult than just kind of surviving a distance. Sorry to the ultra runners out there. <laughs> I'm sure it's That's all okay. equally hard. You know what? You're you're actually totally correct in most cases, unless you've run 100 miles, then that is the most difficult. <laughs> but, but it's anyways. painful in a different way. I, I always say that that any race is painful if you do it right. Like, yeah. I can't imagine, yeah. uh, like, the, the most painful races I've ever run have been 800 meter races and oh. I've never run a 400 meter race, but I can't imagine that that is, I, I've got to think it's, it's worse than an 800. Well, if, and, if me watching Johnny at the end of his 57 second, 400 meter is any indication, it, it looks extremely <laughs> painful. He wanted to puke for about four hours after like his yeah, exactly. 57 second effort. I just can't imagine. I think the shortest race I've ever done is like 1500 meters or a mile. Like, and, and I just want to, I can like taste, um, metal in my mouth. Like it, it's yeah. so glycolytic. It, it's so painful. <laughs> Those middle distance races. 800, 1500 mile, uh, right up to 5k. 5k is probably the top end of it. Uh, are, they're some of the most difficult races to execute because mm -hmm. they are like a nasty blend of endurance and speed and uh, just going to the well and pushing through mm -hmm. pain. Uh, so 
when I hear someone say I'm just running the 5k or I'm only running the 5k, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm usually more suspicious of the person who's like the serial marathon runner. If somebody hides out running marathons and half marathons and only does races that last more than an hour or an hour and a half, um, that's kind of where I get a little suspicious and think, oh yeah, you're, you're avoiding real competition from the shorter races. <laughs> Ooh, I could see this going into a nasty debate right here. <laughs> no, no, no. I've been to I've been to ultra races, and I see a totally yeah. different, totally different landscape out there, uh, which is a lot more mental or as mental as it is physical. Um, mm-hmm. I've never done a race more than a marathon, um, but I've been to races as as long as a hundred miles, and the, just the thought of not sleeping through the night Mm -hmm. uh, makes me not want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know what, Kevin, you're totally right. And I will be the first to to bring out that in, in the ultra endurance community, it's just, you've just picked a different poison. Like um, to get um, short distance athletes to develop the base mileage is the problem. Whereas to get an endurance, ultra endurance athlete to do speed work is the problem. And you're mm-hmm. right. We absolutely do hide out in those easy miles because that's what we love to do. But to do a tempo or an interval run is is you know painful it's just a different type of pain right it's it's like a pain do you want your do you want it short and fast or do you want your pain to last for days Um, exactly so yeah I think any athlete of any distance is going to be comfortable with 80% of it and uncomfortable with that 20 and the thing is really focusing on what makes you uncomfortable because that's what's going to make you a better athlete yeah exactly yeah and since I coach mostly adult road runners between 5k and half marathon with the odd venture up to up to marathon um i really promote running stuff like a five kilometer race because they're easy to recover from and for a new runner they give you reps Uh, they give you chances to go out and line up and compete they get to practice your warm-up you get to practice race strategies if you think that you messed something up or could do something better you get another chance two or three weeks later Whereas if all you're doing is half marathons and marathons, you get like one shot, maybe two shots in a season to try yeah. to do it. Yeah, correct. Absolutely. So can you maybe yeah. tell us uh, a few of your proudest moments as a coach since you have been coaching for so long? I know, um, I, I think I've heard you say that it's almost more fun to see somebody else or an athlete that you're coaching PR than it is for you to be setting yours. Cause of course you're not probably setting very many PRs anymore. Um, since not you did anymore. so well in your twenties. <laughs> yeah. So what's your proudest moment as a coach? Um, well, when I started coaching, I was involved with a lot of, uh, youth groups and high schools and with my, uh, Waterloo team at the, the university of Waterloo. Uh, so it was, it was really proud and satisfying to see some of those kids and colleagues uh, get success, like all Canadian awards or making it to OFSA, which is the Ontario High School Championships, aka the biggest meet in the world. Um, <laughs> so it was it was really, uh, really um, nice to see people succeed that way. But they were mostly coached by by another head coach where I, and I was assisting and, and just kind of uh, in the program as, as support, I would say, Carolyn, that probably coaching you was one of the prouder moments because you were the first person to call me up and ask, uh, if I would coach you. 
Um, and, you know, you did the work and got the results. And uh, it was really satisfying to see that, that, um, you know, that I, that I could finally take somebody from a start to finish training program, put them through it and get kind of what was expected. Yeah, well, I mean, that is just, just for, for people listening, um, it, it baffles me to look back on it now that I grew up with you, watching you be such a successful runner, but never asking any questions or being curious, or, you know, because I sort of dabbled in running and did the, the local things here and there, but I never trained properly. And yet here you were like an expert that lived in my house and I, I never even asked, but it was until we were much later, like in, in our thirties that I, I asked you for some, you know, Hey, do you think I could ever break 45 minutes in the 10 K? And I was maybe like a 48 minute 10 K runner. And you're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you started coaching me and it was so fun because you know, we didn't live in the same town at that point, but you would email me the workouts and stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is sort of fun. Like every workout's different. And it had like some days I'm going really easy. And some days I, you know, I'm doing short, fast intervals. And then what's this long run? Like I had never trained properly. It was so amazing uh, that I knew nothing about running when I was so close to a runner. And you're right. Like the, the results, they just came like every week I'd give you my feedback you'd give you know send me another program and I think in my tune-up race on on route to this you know wanting to break 45 in the 10k I think I was like close to 43 in my tune-up race I'm like oh I guess I better set a different goal and I think in the yeah, in we the revised real race goals pretty quick yeah and it was like and, and it, that was years and years that you coached me and I continued to get better at every distance it was like so eye-opening to me. So thank you for that. Yeah, I haven't I mean, already said thank you. <laughs> you and you have, but uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely a proud moment. Um, and it, it's super satisfying to see people uh, not only achieve, but like wildly surpass what they think is possible. Mm -hmm. Is I I'm, I'm wondering as a coach, like if you find it, if there's any advice that you find harder to practice as an athlete than to give as a coach oh yeah basically everything i mean the, the coach the coach is the easy part you know you tell somebody what to do and or show them what to do um but for the athlete it's it's always harder to uh to actually incorporate it into your training or uh or or actually implement it even something like run your easy days easy a lot of people have trouble doing that Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. it, it sounds like easy advice to give, but it's, it's a lot harder to actually put it into practice. So you're, so, you sometimes fall into running your easy days too fast? Occasionally. I'm way, way better at it now. I mean, mm -hmm. that, I would say that was probably the biggest thing that shortened my, my career or kept me from reaching my, my truest potential was, uh, I would, I would run pretty hard on easy days. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, like, like uh, you were just saying that you had somebody in your house who you could be asking questions to. I was running with guys who were on like national teams, mm -hmm. um, like 1335K runners and 820 steeplechase runners and 330 something, 1500 meter runners and watching them go, you know, not running with me and a couple other guys because we ran so hard on, on our easy days and our long runs. Oh, um, it, like, you know, why, why didn't that light bulb go off and right. say, well, if so-and-so doesn't have to run that hard, then why do I, who's running like 
a minute and a half, two minutes slower. Yeah. Uh, why do I have to be doing that? You know, sometimes the obvious is right in front of us and we, we just can't see it yep. for a while. <laughs> and that's part of the, part, that's part of the appeal of coaching is to see those kind of aha moments or see the light bulb go off with somebody mm-hmm. uh, and then watch them totally transform. Yep. That's like the best thing in coaching. Yeah. For sure. Kevin, how do you see social media and apps like Strava playing into this for people who are recreational runners? Um, you know, it's it might be theoretically um, you have to run easy and your coach may be watching your heart rate data or your, your pacing. But yet, oh, my goodness, all those people on Strava are going to see that I ran this run at a 10 minute mile, you know, and does, does do you find that much in your coaching at all? Do you ever get people right off social media? Um, I haven't specifically asked anybody to go off social media. Um, I'm not a big social media person myself. Um, and I only snoop in on Strava because I know that I can look at, uh, at the run data from some of the people who I coach. Uh, I don't post any of my own running on there at all. Um, yeah, and I don't think I do because it, it, first of all, it doesn't matter to anybody else. I'm happy to share my training and my workout logs with whoever wants, but I don't need to put it up there for everybody to see. Uh, and two, I don't think a lot of people can really deal with it. I think the, the comparison factor becomes too much, and that becomes kind of the focus rather than executing the training properly. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what I mean. So, I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I know some runners around here who have taken themselves off Strava or other, you know, Garmin Connect or Polar Flow or Training Peaks, whatever, um, or made their data private so that they don't constantly see comparisons or people don't see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it, it cuts both ways. And I think it cuts a little more on the side, uh, on the negative side, but that's probably my own views on social media rather than uh, <laughs> rather than what what Strava and, and these online workout logs are doing. Well, for sure, they can be motivating, right? Like it can give you a, a way to totally. compete, um, especially in a COVID world, right, where everything's virtual now. But at the same time, I only experimented with Strava for one week. It's all I lasted. I wanted to see if Strava would in some way influence the way I thought about my runs and how I performed them. And I just couldn't. And maybe I don't have the discipline that I need to, but I was finding myself pushing a little bit more than I should or, you know, not listening to my body enough because everybody was going to see it. And within one week, I was off. I just, I couldn't. Oh, good for it. you. Yeah, I, it was done. Yeah, I, I think one of the problems is um, when it pops up on, on, that, on that feed, uh, you only really see like, two or three different metrics. And one of those metrics is your average pace per kilometer or average pace per mile. Um, And that is such a seductive number to try to push down. It's almost like a game, Um, but it means absolutely nothing. So, you know, like on on days when I was doing interval workouts, so maybe like, uh, like a hard half marathon workout, I'd do five times two kilometers with 500 meter jog in between, you know, what does an average per kilometer pace mean? I'm running a lot of it at, you know, five or six minute kilometers. And then a lot of it at 330 or 340 kilometers. So the average comes up probably at a pace that I never touched during the workout. Yeah. It's irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. So knowing the purpose of what you're doing 
can kind of help um, keep things under control, I guess, if you're going to use online online tools and, and post your workouts publicly, uh, just to kind of uh, keep people in check and make sure that they're doing the right thing. But it takes real discipline. It does. Real discipline. It does. And it takes trust in the process, trust in, you know, if you have a coach, what your coach said, like, um, yeah, that's, that's one thing I think is a, a dynamic in this 21st century running that people didn't have 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, really. Yeah. And at the yeah. same time, the benefits really are, really are something. I mean, I can coach people all across Canada and see their, see their workouts kind of a couple minutes, a couple hours after they're done. I can sort through their training log, uh, whenever I want. Uh, I can get pretty good data from, from each workout. Yeah. Do you ever use training peaks when you coach? Uh, yeah. So one of my old watches was uh, connected to training peaks. Um, and a couple of my, a couple of my online athletes use training peaks uh, maybe before they went to Strava. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not uh, coaching with them anymore, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, doesn't really matter the platform they all kind of have the same the th same things built in but strava has more of a public profile i guess right it's Sorry, a little I took more accessible social media rabbit hole here but no i think it's an important conversation because uh, like i'm just sort of sitting back i'm not on any social media uh for my running like i i have a it's embarrassing to even say this, but I just have like an Excel spreadsheet and I record everything in there. And probably 90% of the time I don't run with a GPS watch because for all the reasons you're talking about, if I have that thing on, I'm so tempted. It's so seductive to look at the pace and ooh, if I could just go a little bit faster. And even, even though I know there's no point in going any faster, I just get lured into looking at that number. So I just, I just take that right off the table by just running with my chrono watch just tells me the time and I can run as you know easy as I want to without feeling so, anything <laughs> yeah so back back to you know coaching advice that might be harder to implement as an athlete um, I will tell people to you know use their GPS watch but just put the screen to you know like the, the running time like your basic basic timer stopwatch um, you know, let the let the watch record the data, but don't let the data um, impact your run. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a good servant, but a terrible master, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Kevin, uh, switching gears, we've talked a little bit about the mental side of things. We just kind of touched on it, but I am curious always to like pick the brains of of high performing athletes, which I would consider you definitely in that camp. So I'd love for you to tell us like how you get through it, like when a race starts to get hard, like mentally, what do you do to kind of push through uh, that pain? Um, there's a couple of things that I've learned over the years. Um, one, like if you're running in a pack, especially, uh, is don't let the elastic break. So if you're in a pack and you start drifting off the back, there's almost like this invisible connection uh, between you and the person in front of you or you and the group in front of you, um, this invisible elastic, and if it gets stretched a little bit too far, then you're gone. Uh, so if I find myself struggling or, or starting to drift, then I just tell myself, don't let the elastic break and mm. take 10 fast steps and kind of get back in the pack because it's always going to be easier 
running in a pack than it is on your own. Hmm, I love that. That's a good one. Yeah, and me then, too. Yeah. Uh, and then in those cases when I when I do get broken off or or say it's just a uh, hard interval workout where I'm working out on my own and I have to motivate myself, uh, I break down distances into like ridiculously small pieces. <laughs> so if I'm running down the road for mile repeats uh, in the second half of my fifth mile and it's really starting to grind on me, uh, you know, I will just look to the next driveway, which <laughs> might only be 10 meters away. And like, I'm just making it to the driveway. And then yeah. when I get to the driveway, find a mailbox or a telephone pole or a tree or, or something or race the car that I hear coming up behind me. Like anything huh. to take my mind off of, uh, yeah, I've got half a mile left at my 5K race pace and yeah. it's yeah. really starting to hurt. Triathlete Dave Scott uh, doing Ironman used to say he would only focus on like his next footstep. Hmm. Yeah, That seems even a little bit too short for me, but uh, uh but yeah, well, that's a, that series of breaking things down into into manageable pieces. It almost gets that that meditative aspect of it, right? Like bringing you back into the moment, like this footfall or this breath or or whatever it is, right? Instead of because yep. I think often it's your mind that's creating this big scary story about I can't do this and I can't keep this pace up for for much longer. But breaking it down, and the smaller you break it down, the more you're just like, okay, I can do this. I can take one more step. Yeah. And I mean, the surest way, let's say you've got a goal to like break 20 minutes for a five kilometer race. Uh, so four minutes per kilometer, the surest way to not reach that goal is to be obsessed about four minutes kilometers <laughs> for the full 20 minute race. <laughs> you need uh -huh. to let your mind wander. You need to zone out and feel the flow for a while without yeah. uh, obsessively checking in with that watch every, yeah. uh, every three steps. That's really interesting. Um, they, uh, the book Endure talks a lot about that. I don't know if you've read that book, and it's it's crazy that I'm blanking on who wrote it right now. Alex um, Hutchinson. Alex, Alex Hutchinson, of course. I had Matt Fitzgerald in my mind, but Alex Hutchinson. And he talks about, yeah, the a lot of the mental game and how um, becoming meditative can really improve your performance, for sure. Mm -hmm. And meditation just takes on different forms for different people. Um, you know, some people consider their running or their training meditative. Other people need a little more spiritual aspect or some people, you know, channel it into completely different activities. But, uh, you know, whatever gets you kind of out of out of that crazy mindset of, uh, of like hyper-focus and, and awareness and just kind of lets you relax and, and zone out for a bit while still doing your thing that's what you yep. need to find. Yeah. 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 For sure. Awesome. So Kev, I know, um, it often looks like running is a solo sport. You're out there all by yourself. It's an individual pursuit, but we know as runners that there's always a team of people behind their success. So we're curious who is in your support network. Well, never, uh, never, gets much farther than your than your spouse and I have a pretty supportive spouse as far as endurance events and races and activities go uh, she's always willing to kind of drive out and spot me on the bike or paddle beside me if I'm swimming or plant water bottles on a long run um, <laughs> or make our travel revolve around 
at races and athletic <laughs> events. Uh, so, I don't know anything about that. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's always like the first level. Um, I'd say you, Carolyn, you're you're a pretty good piece of my support network. Not only are you family, but uh, you're also a physio, whether you still call yourself one or not. Um, <laughs> You know tons about nutrition, and you're a natural counselor, so I can always turn to you when I need to bounce some ideas or vent a little bit or um, just kind of gripe because you're an athlete as well. So you know kind of the frustrations of kind of of low training points and when somebody just needs to get something off their chest. Mm -hmm. um, the run group that, that we all have running in common, so uh, so that's people who share the same experience and, and can relate to you. Um, you know, not only are they my athletes, but a lot of them have become really close personal friends. Uh, so, so that's a great piece of support. Um, plus all the, all the people who I used to run and race against and the coaches who I had through the years, I can always email or text or phone them and, and bounce an idea off of them. Or, you know, it's always nice to catch up with them when I see them at races. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So are you being coached by anyone right now or do you coach yourself? I am not being coached by anybody right now. I'm thinking about maybe getting a coach, um, depending on, you know, what races are happening in the future. Um, <laughs> but I've been, I've been coaching myself for quite a while now. Yeah. Yeah. So the what races are happening? Back, oh, what races are happening? Uh, none yeah. that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> what would you wish were happening if it wasn't for everything closed? Yeah, so I was supposed to run the Chicago Marathon in October, uh, and that held out for about as long as any major marathon did uh, before canceling a week or two ago. Um, mm -hmm. Now everything else seems to be falling, uh, getting canceled. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I feel like I, I have really good base and about six weeks away from being in great shape, but there's nothing really to, <laughs> to do that for. So that's kind of what you're, you're doing now for training. You're just kind of in a holding pattern, like do some bread and butter workouts each week and, or what, what does your typical training week look like right now? Yeah, I would call it a holding pattern. Um, you just that, that constant state of training to train and mm -hmm. being ready. Um, what does a week look like? I, I guess I reject the notion of like a seven day week. Um, I look more at kind of the fundamentals or the most important things that need to get done during a cycle of training and then schedule them out with appropriate work rest balance, uh, until, until I get through them. Mm -hmm. So that might take 10 days or it might take two weeks or three weeks, uh, to kind of work through everything. Um, in this phase where we're we're just kind of building mileage and waiting and <laughs> we don't know what what's next or when um you know i'll do a long run probably every three weeks like a traditional long run uh every every three weeks and cycle that with um kind of a medium long but faster run i guess you might call it progression uh, and then some long run with a bit of a workout on the end of it. Uh, so if you're familiar with Jack Daniels, it might be like his uh, threshold, long threshold type mm -hmm. works where you do some some tempo miles at the front end and then a hour, an hour 30, and then some tempo miles on the back end. 
but mostly, you know, a, a typical week or a typical training cycle, you don't ever get too far away from speed. Short hill sprints and strides are really all that most distance runners need for the most part. Um, do lots of mileage day to day, especially at this time in COVID times. I don't think we've, we will ever have a time where people just have uh, the ability to put in miles and build up their base and just have uninterrupted training for months on end. Mm -hmm. It's uh, a hidden so blessing, really. It, it can be if you use it properly. Mm -hmm. So often it's these race seasons, you know, that, that trip us up because, you know, you get into a good groove of training and then all of a sudden you've got to change it up because you've got some races, which may or may not be important. Um, you never know what's important, what's important to people, but there's always races out there. Um, this, this now just seems like extended base training forever and ever and ever, <laughs> which isn't a bad thing. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So no, no actual races on the calendar, I guess, because we don't know if any of them are even happening. I really we wanted you know. to come here and run the Manitoba marathon, but now they're saying residents only. Oh, mm. are they? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Huh. So time will tell. Well, this has been fascinating. I've, I thought I knew most of, of your story, but I've even learned some things, uh, today. So this, thank you so much for, uh, for your time. And we have a few end of the podcast questions that we do like five questions, just rapid fire. Are you ready, ready for those? Uh, sure. All right. Go ahead. Do you have a favorite mantra that you go to when you're running? Uh, I guess I would go back to what I said before. Don't let the elastic break. Mm. All right. If you could teleport tomorrow to anywhere in the world to run, where would it be? Ooh, I've liked a lot of the places where you've lived, Carolyn. <laughs> uh, one of my first favorite places to run was Dundas Valley. Oh yeah, in uh, Hamilton. You know, when you were at Mc in Hamilton, when you were at McMaster, and then when one of my friends lived in Hamilton, we would travel from KW down there once a week just to run mm. on those endless trails and up and down the hills. That was a great place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Comox Valley was great too. Kim, you can probably attest to that as well. Comox yeah, that's, was uh, that's my favorite place to run. Yeah, yeah, I, I maybe would pick one of those two places. Do you have any races on your bucket list for when things do reopen? Yes, uh, I was supposed to run the New York City Marathon a couple years ago and missed it because of an injury that came up. Uh, so New York is still on my bucket list. That's probably the only big time marathon that I would really want to run. Otherwise some odd distance races, uh, like some classic road races that aren't standard five, 10, half, things like around the bay. I've done around the bay before, but uh, it's always been pacing someone. So I'd like to do it as a race on my own. Mm -hmm. um, That's a great race. Yeah. Older than yeah, Boston. A, a couple things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite running book or podcast? Ooh, yeah, it's a toss-up between two of those uh, classic running books, um, Once a Runner and Running with the Buffaloes. Oh, I oh. just heard about that book the other yeah. day, yes. Yeah, and I think Running with the Buffaloes actually wins because it's a, a nonfiction book. It's about cross-country, which is kind of more my thing than, than track, and it's from my era. It follows the University of Colorado team in the 1997 or 1998 cross-country season so like 
that's that's when I was competing in university, and uh, it, so all those people in the story are like really relatable to me. And finally, do you have a favorite post-run indulgence? Uh, I'm a sucker for the post-run beer, especially at this time of year when it's so hot outside. And uh, I live on on the Trent River, north of Trenton, Ontario. So uh, I can slip into the river right after a run, have a beer, nice. and be in like two feet of water, drinking a beer without and cooling off without any, you know, thought of getting in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> Well, uh, have you run today? I guess it's 42 degrees there, so probably not. You took the day off? Oh. I took the day off today. I'll be back at it tomorrow morning. Can you still have the beer in the river, uh, even if you didn't go for a run? No, not today. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> good answer, good answer. Such discipline. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being our first guest on the Inspired Souls podcast. This was really fun. Oh, yes, thank you thank for you, hosting me. This is this has been great. <laughs>